Omnibus is a production of iHeartRadio. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is The Omnibus. You have accessed entry 634.GE0913, certificate number 26015. Indigo. Whoa, that's a full rainbow all the way. Double rainbow, oh my God. It's a double rainbow all the way. Whoa, that's so intense. Do you like rainbows, John? You like a good rainbow? (sighs) I do. I love a good rainbow. Uh, we get a lot of them here in the sunny, rainy Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it's a. I was just in Hawaii, and there were rainbows every afternoon. So many rainbows in Hawaii, they briefly named the university sports teams after them. They the rainbows? Were, they were the Rainbow Warriors. Oh. And at some point, I think in the 80s, that started to challenge their masculinity. Well, you know, rainbows as a sign of uh, LGBTQ culture mm-hmm. didn't really come in that wasn't really popularized until later. Yeah, I think uh, the flag might have been first drawn in the late 70s at some point. But right, like the wider culture didn't realize it was a queer symbol until the 90s. But in the 80s, you definitely had little girls playing with rainbow-themed toys, their Care Bears and their Rainbow Brights. Now, why would rainbows be more of a little girl culture like mass culture item then for little boys. I know. I mean, when G.I. Joe is coming out of the jungle and the mist is coming down, G.I. Joe is going to see just as many rainbows as like a unicorn would. The thing about a rainbow is it's, it's the colors. It's all the colors. By definition, it's a full spectrum. Like, Boys need to use those colors as well. <laughs> yeah. Roy Jabiv is a, what they should have called it. Yeah, Roy uh, is a boy. Yeah, right. It's not uh, Rona G. Biv. <laughs> you, could, you could see G.I. Joe poking his head out and just being like, Roy G. Biv, come on. Did you learn Roy G. Biv in school? You're really r- rattling that off like it's very fundamental to you. Uh, well, it's funny because uh, my friend Ellen Forney, whom, Name drop. Whom I'm sure you also know. Is I don't, that right? I like her work very much, but I do not know Ellen. Ellen is a comic book artist from and a diarist, uh, an autobiographer from Seattle, and she was kind of famously one of the alternative comics uh, pioneers here in the city. And she wrote a comic strip called Seven in 75, which was about her childhood in the 70s. And at some, and I've, I've known her since we were both just uh, hanging out at the Espresso Roma every afternoon, smoking unfiltered cigarettes. And I have a an original one of her 
comic pages framed in this bathroom right over my shoulder, which you have seen. Oh, wait, but you don't use this bathroom. You go use the other bathroom. I've been in that bathroom. Anyway, there's a comic right there about Ellen's 1970s decision to collect rainbow things as part of her expression of being a seven-year-old girl. And so she collected a bunch of rainbow stuff, and then she got sick of it and decided to throw all her rainbow stuff away. And then later when she identified as a queer person and she had to confront the fact that rainbows were now going to be everywhere, they were supposed to be her emblem, but she already had a pre-existing hatred of rainbows from her childhood, it, it became, well, the subject of a comic book. <laughs> and so her mother sort of derisively referred to rainbows as roijabivs, and I look at it every time I go to the bathroom. Why is it not Roy G. Biv? That's how I always would have said it as a mnemonic device. I think it is Roy G. Biv, but, oh. but I say Roy Biv because of the, I'm trying to G.I. Joeify it. You're trying, to, you're trying to make it uh, for everyone. Yeah, lock and load, Roy G. Biv. Yeah, if it was a military acronym. Yeah, it would mean like roll out the roll, guns. Roll out your guns <laughs> because in Vietnam. Yeah, because in Vietnam. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly how they talk in the war, in the war culture. <laughs> the war culture. <laughs> it's, it definitely shows that all the, a lot of this boy-girl stuff has to be cultural, right? Because there's nothing, what's girly about, or like it, it's got all the colors. It's got the traditionally male ones and the traditionally female ones. All you have to do is question yourself when you look at a rainbow. Do you get excited? Yes. I love it. Anyone who looks at a rainbow and doesn't get excited is, well, potentially colorblind. So I don't want to be uh, ableist here. If you are not colorblind and can see rainbows, it, they should delight you. They're wonderful. They are the thing in reality that most seems like it might be a gag. Like if we're living in some kind of uh, artificial universe, and maybe future historians have deduced that we in fact are. Rainbows are definitely the one thing that you feel like some guy added just to be like, let's see if they buy this. Suddenly, a circle of colored stripes just appears in the sky. It's very magic. It still seems magic. Even when you know the explanation, you know, so you understand that the sun is shining through some kind of curtain of water droplets, and somehow water droplets can refract the light so that it changes their wavelengths, you know, some shorter, some longer so that you, you get all the colors of light separated out. It really doesn't seem, in like I, I buy that it maybe it could be a big arc in front of you, but it doesn't have to be. Like if from that explanation, let's say if rainbows were a series of rays extending outward, a red stripe, an orange stripe, a yellow stripe, or a series of blobs or... Like a color wheel? Sure. Like I would believe about any optical phenomenon and be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the curtain of water droplets is refracting the white light. Like the fact that it's... Also, a, like a series a, of stripes right. uh, is. I, I'm just taking it on faith because the point. curtain of water is acting as a collective prism somehow. Yes. Why is it a collective prism? I don't know. Why there's there's got to be uh, hundreds of thousands of raindrops there. Millions. Why are they all just focusing it on one series of stripes? It seems fake. It does. It's uh, it's some kind of Heisenberg thing. This is it's my a, conspiracy theory. It's that, a cat in a box. That rainbows are fake. Rainbows are the proof that we're living in a, a artificial, digital reality. When I was a little kid, we lived in a town called Kingston, Washington, and our house was on a bluff looking over the water. And the rainbows would end, often big rainbows would end right in the water, just tantalizingly off 
Sure. That happens in our current house. Does it? Because we got that view of the lake. Oh, yeah. And when the sun's setting in the west, it's, you know, if, if, there's, if it's raining anywhere in northern Seattle, suddenly there's a rainbow that just seems to land in our neighborhood. Somewhere. And sometimes you can be like, oh, that's Doug's house. Yeah, right. Well, and my mom said as a, when I was a toddler, she had to be very careful that I wouldn't wade out chasing the little end of the rainbow that seemed like I could just, if it, if I could just get a hundred feet in front of myself, you know, I would be there. What a poignant way to die though. I know. You're, he's always chasing rainbows. I wonder Until how, the day he didn't. I wonder how many people, you know, like chased a rainbow right into some saw blades. They're all drunk Irishmen. Right. They, they were hoping it would be uh, the pot of gold. Or, you know, that's probably how G.I. Joe uses rojibos. <laughs> to lure, yeah. to lure IRA uh, terrorists? They just, they hide <laughs> in the bushes and they're like, come on. Come on. <laughs> uh, you can only see a rainbow if it's if the sun is shining and it's raining at the same time. But does the sun have to be somewhere? Like, do you have to be, how do you have to be here's, situated okay. relationally? Here's to the, the thing about a rainbow that will make it make slightly more sense. The the arc it's making is always part of a circle. Some It's some segment of a circle. Right. The center of that circle is a point directly opposite the sun compared to you, the viewer. Oh. So the center of a rainbow is always, you can draw a line passing right through the center of your head and it'll connect with the sun so usually on the other side. The you, center, you, the, you, the viewer, are affecting where the rainbow appears. Usually where the center of the rainbow would be is somewhere deep in the earth relative to where you are because the rainbow's arc never even completes 180 degrees. It's always some fraction of 180 degrees, meaning the Right. The focal point is down under the, because, because the sun is up in the sky. Yes. Right. So as the sun goes lower in the sky, closer to sunset or sunrise, the arc of the rainbow gets closer and closer to 180 degrees, but it would never be greater than 180 degrees because that would mean the sun had to be below the horizon. That sounds right to me. <laughs> and if we're wrong, I'm sure... We'll be long dead by the time anybody <laughs> sure. hears this to correct our options. Yeah, some futureling that can see through the earth <laughs> with their uh, with their electromagnetic vision will be like, what? No. Do you ever have a name? Many languages have a name, by the way, for these times when it's sunny and rainy at the same time. Oh, right. I've heard names like this. No, it's so commonplace here in the Northwest that it, it hardly bears. We just call it Tuesday. Uh, I think in, in maybe the rural South, there's a, a series of expressions that are like, looks like the devil's beating his wife. Have, oh, you, have you ever that, heard that? I have heard that phrase, but I didn't know it was about the sunshiny rainbow. Yeah, that's that's an old wives tale about when it's sunny and rainy. The both. devil is beating his wife. Which is odd if you think about it. First of all, what, the devil is married in this scenario? The devil's not usually married, right? He's a single guy. As far as I can tell, but also... The devil's not on his throne and then there's another throne with queen devil. You would think, so you would think the expression would mean something good is happening from something bad. Yes, exactly. But the but dev, the devil beating his wife, even if she's a devil wife, you don't want her to get beaten. Like, where's the joy in this? Where's the joy in this scenario? Maybe you do. Maybe I, I maybe would, watching a, a devil woman get beaten is the same impulse as a, <laughs> as a beautiful angelic woman not getting beaten. You know, it's, <laughs> if you're if you're a noble enough white knight to want women not to get beaten, you should be in favor of the opposite of that, which is evil female devils do get beaten. Yeah, but by more evil, 
but because the relationship is like between the devil and the right. and the devil woman, not between the devil woman and us. We should be against the violence as as a matter of principle. One hundred percent against devil violence. I'm against all domestic violence, even if it's in the fires of hell. Yes, me too. Like those people are all having an awful time in hell with the sulfur and the fire, but you know, nobody should be getting hit as well. No, that's a very dumb Southern phrase. But you know, they also <laughs> say wife beaters about that T-shirt. Like they're just, they're, the South is just very interested in domestic violence. All slang in the South is about domestic violence. <laughs> Remember when they call, sometimes they call a, a bus a, a wife-beaten cube? A, a beat your kids? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 but there are other words that are that are kind of like uh, indigenous words, right? Like in the people, South Pacific? People say, don't people say sun shower sometimes? Oh, right. Uh, but there's, there's another one like sun, what's a sun devil? Oh, that's a... Uh, that's the University of Arizona. <laughs> the Rainbow Warriors <laughs> versus the Sun Devils. A lot of refraction. Uh, in Japan, there's a, a, some kind of a superstition, I think. There's a Kurosawa movie about how that's when the foxes hold their magical wedding ceremonies. So when it's... <laughs> you're laughing like you don't think this is true? Oh, you're such a weeaboo. You don't buy this? Weeaboo. Uh, <laughs> hey... My fox waifu is very offended. Here, look at this picture of my fox waifu. You got to admit, she's very cute. You know those? She's very kawaii. You know those waifu pillows? The I don't. The, the, what are you talking about? <laughs> I saw one the other day that was uh, like a guy in, the pillow was of a guy in cargo shorts wearing a fedora and a t-shirt that said, milady. <laughs> So it's it was, like a mirror. It's like a waifu yeah, mirror. It was being hugged by a really pretty small Japanese girl. <laughs> and I just laughed and laughed. I feel like a lot of the weeaboo phenomenon is based on that belief that, you know, small porcelain Japanese women do want that. Yeah, they do. And want if it. I just, if I can just afford the plane ticket, my life will change. <laughs> the guy with black socks and high tops. <laughs> Milady. Yeah, so the, the the kitsune, the magical foxes get married when, get it's, married when, on it's, Rainbow when Day. it's sunny and rainy both. What if they're already married? Mm. Then they just beat their wives. Like <laughs> uh, so rainbows. I, I should say also that it's not the University of Arizona Sun Devils. It's Arizona State Sun Devils. And I, I, I'm sure a lot of people were already composing. There were about three letters. minutes where like so many people were angry. But I mean, if they went to Arizona State, they're not the smartest people. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to worry so much about that. Both University of Arizona and Arizona State graduates were like, where are my glasses? Where's my computer? How do you turn this on? It's the Arizona Wildcats, I yeah. believe. Because oh, they're, you know, any team thank that's you. in the final four a lot, I will know the mascot. What is the, what is the weather phenomenon where wildcats get married? <laughs> that's what I'm interested in. Wildcats <laughs> don't get married. They just, they can't be contained like that. You can't, you can't hold them down. You can't nail their tails to the porch. But rainbows do exist apparently, hmm. even though I'm a little skeptical. Hmm. And uh, they're an evidence of the fact that white light can be refracted and the wavelengths change such that you will, they'll be, it's a, white light is a combination of all the colors. And white heat, white light? <laughs> right. Uh, it's heroin, actually. <laughs> you can only see rainbows if you're on heroin. Uh, well, that explains why I see so many rainbows. And we can all see this phenomenon with, uh, you know, soap bubbles or... Um, you know, little bits of crystal. Anytime you can see light get reflected into all the colors, you can kind of intuit that, if, if you know what's going on, you can intuit that the white light is somehow getting separated. Uh, the first person to prove that you could recombine all that, all those different colors back into white light 
was Isaac, Isaac Newton. Newton. Yes, I got it. <laughs> In Under oh, the Wire. I hit the buzzer. I got it. It's really buzzer technique, you know, That's, more than even knowing the answer. It's 100% buzzer technique. That was very good. Thank I got you. I got aced out there. Was it a da- daily double? Did I get the daily double? It was an audio <laughs> daily double. Here, I'm going to do an impression of Sir Isaac Newton. You have to tell me who this is. Okay. Uh, what? An apple just fell. Who is Isaac Newton? It's very good. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, in his treatise, uh, circa 1700, early 18th century treatise, uh, Optics, he talked about these rules of light that he had developed. and uh, That he developed or that God developed? <laughs> and he discovered. God developed when Noah uh, saw the rainbow in the sky. God just improvises. It's like, I got to show Noah something really good here. <laughs> so God makes uh, a rainbow. God's like, I'm going to show him every color, even colors that these, you know, Bronze Age weirdos don't have yet. And uh, it was a less colorful world in the ancient world, you know, like think how much more vivid rainbows were in a time when you never really saw pure reds and blues and whatnot, except in wildflowers. So colors in the ancient world were really prized, right? It, it, the, the ability to actually create through some means like a pure red or a pure yellow, these were, you know, dyes and stuff were trade goods. And um, this is why purple was the color of royalty. Right. Right? Because you couldn't make a good purple with European stuff. You, ha- you needed these sea snails that had both kinds of enzymes in them, and they would, they would only come from the Far East or the Near East. So, you know, if you couldn't get purple from Tyre, nobody had purple. And so it becomes a sign of wealth. The same with blue. You know, the, the reason why we say royal blue is because Europe, medieval Europe couldn't get good blues. They had to use a little flower, a yellow flower called a woad, oh. which is the most Anglo-Saxon word ever. <laughs> woad. <laughs> if, you want, if you want your jute to be blue, you need woad on your jute. Yeah. But it's it wouldn't make a very good, because it's a yellow flower. You have to dry it out and hammer it into a powder, and then it makes kind of a bluish thing, but it's kind of a bluish, greenish thing. Like what you want is the blue color of a blue 70s toilet bowl. Yes, I do want that. Do they still have blue toilet bowls? No, right? Well, you can custom order them from uh, only a couple of companies will continue have continued to make like pink and blue <laughs> sinks and toilets. But I don't actually mean the appliance. I mean when you put the thing in to make the water a really vivid oh, blue. Oh, that stuff. Does that even exist? What was that called? Tidy Bowl, right? It was Tidy Bowl blue? There was a thousand flushes and a thousand flushes blue which would sanitize your toilet tank either in a transparent or in a blue manner. It's There was, I, this is something that no one uh, younger than 50 will know. I think Tidy Bowl was blue, but in the 70s and I guess into the 80s, there was a thing, it was kind of like one of those air fresheners that you plug into the wall, but it was a, a little canister that you stuck in your toilet tank and it turned the toilet water Really electric blue. And it would last for a while in the manner of baking soda in your fridge or whatever. Every so often you'd have to change it out. It was supposed to disinfect and deodorant. Every flush, it cleaned the toilet. You didn't have to clean the toilet. And of course, we never had rich dark blue water in our toilet, but maybe my grandma did or something. So we thought that was very fancy. Yeah, it was kind of a grandma. It was like the people that put little... The little round flower soaps? No, I was going to say the... uh, Remember when people would cover their toilet tank with 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 shag shag carpeting? Sure. What could be fancier than that? (laughs) Now, normally, a lot of people have their wall-to-wall carpeting end at the toilet, but not me. (laughs) 
my, my grandma had this thing where it, I don't even know. I haven't ever looked this up, so I don't know if it's a thing or if she just invented this. It must have been a thing where her spare toilet paper rolls. Yes. She would have one sitting on the back of the toilet, but it would be in a cozy. Yeah, a toilet paper cozy. And the, this cozy in particular was a some kind of cheapo knockoff Barbie doll that would stick down into the hole in the center of the toilet paper roll and would, then would have like a hoop skirt oh. made of some, some kind of crocheted uh, netting, plastic netting that would fit over the toilet paper roll. So there'd be a, 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 you know, a beautiful debutante in a hoop skirt and you'd lift her up and it would all be... Uh, toilet paper. True of almost every debutante <laughs> I've ever met, actually. That is the verite. Don't squeeze the Charmin, John. But, but that's weird. That would be weird if you were a guest in that home because that's maybe the last place you would look if you ran out of toilet paper. She is clearly the shape of a roll of toilet paper oh. with a human torso coming out of it. Still, you'd have to think about it. You, yeah, it's true. How did we even get on this? Oh, I remember. So the blue of a toilet order, that's the kind of blue that medieval Europeans wanted. But because they didn't have access to any indigo plants, they had to use woad. And Blood. then you would kind of get a greenish color that was, uh, you know, it looked like one of those blue toilet tanks after it had been peed in. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to put up with that for many years. But there were there were wars fought over the rights to like these these intense colors. Sure, and it was an amazing cash crop. I think in the in the Caribbean, um, one of the reasons why African slaves were first brought to Haiti and Jamaica and so forth was to grow these uh, native indigo plants that could have dye extracted and sent back to Europe. This is worth its weight in gold, perhaps. Yeah. Before cotton was the big cash crop, it was rice and indigo. Indigo is what made the world go around. So indigo, you've now mentioned the title of the show, indigo. You can, you can stop your stopwatches. <laughs> you got there. Uh, so indigo was not, it, it's a plant that only grows in the tropics or uh, the product of a plant that only grows in the tropics. Yeah, I think you can extract the indigo dye. I think it's most commonly a, a chemical called aniline, and you can aniline? Aniline. Aniline? Yikes. Sweet, sweet aniline? Sweet aniline. aniline. She would be sweet, wouldn't she? Sweeter than Adeline, apparently, judging by her name. Uh, and yeah, so these were plants that grew in India. In fact, uh, it's called indigo from India because it was so associated with coming from the, the subcontinent. But and it, it was very rare in Europe until Vasco da Gama realized he could, you could just go around. No, you could go around Africa. Oh, I see. And opened up a new trade route to India. Until then, it was had to go over land. And it did come from mollusks also, as you said, snails. The, they are the purple. So you can get that dye from mollusks, but I think the I think Tyrrhenian purple or whatever it's called, Tyrian purple, the purple mm. of Tyre, it has both indigo and some kind of red, some kind of vivid red uh, coloration to it also that makes a very rich purple. The purple of Tyre died in season three of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Who will be the new purple of Tyre? So much intrigue going on. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can 
get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Um, so indigo was a real color then and a prized color, but it always struck me as weird that it shows up in Roy G. Biv mm. in the color of the rainbow. I guess today, of course, just jumping ahead, we can make this dye synthetically, which is why indigo is no longer a prized product of slave plantations, but it's on everybody's blue jeans. Well, so this was also really prevalent in oil painting. If you were going to be a painter, if you were Van Gogh or you were Rembrandt, you needed to make your own colors. And there were earths, earths, uh, that you could combine to make various colors. And they were expensive and they were rare. So you could, there was yellow ochre and umber and uh, vermilion, azurite, ultramarine, verdigris. What is that? Ver- verdigris? Verdigris, verdigris sounds like grayish green. I don't know what color verdigris, verdigris is green. It's probably right. verdigris. Yeah, ver- verdigris. A bright bluish green crustacean. Oh, it's it's the stuff that forms on copper. Like the Statue of Liberty oh. green is, is verdigris. Verdigris. And then lamp black. And then, of course, most famously, the way you got a, a brilliant white was with lead. Uh, like white paint was super toxic. I think we covered some of this in the mummy brown we did. entry. We when we were talking about kind of the exotic places. Because, you know, you want colors that really pop. And obviously, it's hard to just find some dirt that's really, really bright blue. You need to have some lapis in it or something really beautiful. But now um, we have all the all those colors can be duplicated through better living through chemistry. Yeah. It's basically all Agent Orange now. Which is probably good news for the mollusks. Except you can eat it, right? It's Agent Orange you can eat. <laughs> right. It's kind of, It tastes like tang. There's no more lead in any easel painting anymore, luckily. Are mollusks capable of receiving good news? Well, the mollusks listening to our show in the future. I'm sorry. It's the best news they've ever heard. I'm sorry, future mollusks. (laughs) I didn't mean to denigrate your They all crept back into their shells when you insulted them. (laughs) It's okay, guys. You can come out. It's safe now. I remember as a kid learning about Roy G. Biv and thinking that it was a little bit iffy, that I in... Because I don't think I had ever heard the word indigo before, not being a 16th century Haitian plantation owner. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, mm-hmm. indigo, violet. And they just try to pass it off. Like, here are the six normal colors you know. Like, they, they have Play-Doh of it and, you know, smelly pens of it. Yeah, red, orange, yellow, green, blue. We all know those. Violet or purple. But then they're just trying to sneak in this other made up one. And it seems like maybe they needed a a new vowel to make his last name work, you know? Indigo is just blue. So indigo is always explained to me as a bluish purple. And that bothered me because we don't put in reddish orange. Sure. Or orangish yellow. Crayola crayons always came. So when when color theory was explained to me as a kid, and this was vastly oversimplified, kids get taught that there's three primary colors, right? Red, yellow, and blue. And then by mixing those, you can make, this is on the back of the Play-Doh cans, you can make three other colors. You mix red and yellow and you get orange. Yellow, between yellow and blue, there's green. Between blue and red, there's purple. So that gives you Roja Bov, 
But there's yeah. there's no indigo because that would be another layer. That would be the the hyphenated Crayola crayons like blue violet or orange red. Speaking of blue violet, David Lynch just recently was quoted as saying that the primary colors were a myth. That we we were all duped into believing there were three primary colors. And when the interviewer asked him to explain, he said no. <laughs> well, he's not wrong. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't know what he was thinking of. But there is scientific reason to say, yeah, the primary colors that we were taught are a myth. So what is biologically true is that you have three kinds of color photoreceptors in your eyes. You have three cone cells, one that's very good at seeing the wavelengths of red light, one that's very good at seeing the wavelengths of green light, and one that's very good at seeing the wavelengths of blue light. Mm -hmm. And so when you see a yellow object, you don't have a yellow cell in your eye. What's happening is that uh, it's... Rods and cones. Yeah, right. The red and the green cones are kind of faking yellow for you. Like you're seeing both red and green, and those wavelengths combine give you, you know, if you were to shoot a red light and a green light at a wall, you would see yellow. So wait, a, a green is, is a primary color and yellow isn't? Of light, red, green, and blue are the primary colors because it's additive. You add red and green and make yellow. Red and blue make a purplish color, like magenta. Red and green make yellow? Not on pigments, not putting on a piece of paper. But, but in light. But with light, uh, yes. Because imagine, so when you add a bunch of, when you mix a bunch of pigments together, it gets darker and darker and eventually black. But when you add a bunch of light together, it gets lighter and lighter and eventually white, right? That's right, how right, the rainbow right. works. I explain this to my daughter every day and she, she, she keeps, still doesn't believe She you. keeps pushing back. So it's all backwards and pigments work the opposite way. So... Um, you know, again, they're combining to make darkness instead of light. So basically what your eye is seeing is a not red color, the opposite of red. Right. And that primary color is cyan. You know, that's that's everything. But if you take red out, you get cyan, a kind of a bright greenish blue turquoisey color. And then you get not green, which is just, you know, everything but green, which the opposite of that is magenta. Huh. And then the opposite of blue purple, the opposite of uh, of blue Am I doing this right? Yeah, the opposite of blue is is yellow. That's all the wavelengths except for blue. So, I see. So you can make, so when you're printing something on paper at Kinko's or whatever, you're combining cyan ink, magenta ink, and yellow ink, and probably black, just so you don't have to keep adding so much ink until it gets dark. And that's how the colors are made. But oh. yeah, this idea that uh, there's something magical about red, yellow, and blue is not true. And you can, you can define color spaces in other ways. Like, you know, we define our computer monitors in terms of red, green, and blue, but you could also use three other numbers. You could use hue, saturation, and value mm -hmm. or lightness to show, you know, here's how intense the color is, here's how bright it is, and here's, uh, you know, it's, it's character wavelength-wise. You know, there, you could describe colors in a bajillion different ways. Is the dress gold and white or is it blue and yeah, black? So that's kind of the, 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 the mysterious internet dress is, is a manifestation of something that we see when we look into history, which is that a lot of color, you know, the wavelengths that meet the eye are based on math, but how the eye interprets them, uh, there's a whole lot going on there. And a lot of it is actually based on context and a lot of it's based on culture. Um, not every culture sees categorizes colors the same way. Or even acknowledges a difference between blue and green. Right. So uh, famously, a uh, guy wrote a book in the 50s 
about how there's a blue-green distinction that is not made in a lot of cultures. And, and the word gru is often used for a culture that just has one word that means both blue and green. And I always thought this was crazy. Isn't a gru also like a like a bad a thing, thing that, that kills you in you know, Zork? Or that comes into Edward Gorey stories? Doesn't, <laughs> yeah, you, the, doesn't the gru take Samantha away? You can't see the gru because it's dark. <laughs> but if you could, it would be either green or blue. We've talked about this, I think, maybe in the Mummy Brown episode about how this intrudes into the, the peace in my own family. In um, what way? Well, my dad had a Chrysler. Uh, it was a Chrysler, what was it? A LHX that was a color that I felt was green and that my mother was certain was blue. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe I called it the blue car and she called it the green car. Anyway, we never could agree. And then when my daughter was born, she, as soon as she could talk, started to, not because she had been prompted, but she just naturally saw the car the same color that I saw it. Mm. But everyone else in the family sees the car the same color that my mom sees it. So my daughter and I are on the wrong side of the blue-green argument in, as far as my family is concerned, although I know for a fact that I'm on the right side, except I don't remember whether it was blue or green because the car's gone now. They seem like the, so on, it's, it always seemed odd to me because on paper, it seems like these would be the two colors that any culture would have to distinguish. Sure. One is sky and water and one is plants. Like it's the two colors that everybody is going to see the most of. How have you conflated them? But. And how, how have we? It turns out that uh, there's some pretty good research that if cultures have words for colors, they will always start with the same four, which I think are like red, black, white, and yellow. Like those are the first four you have. And then if you have another one, it's, it's blue or green, and then you start to distinguish between them. And you might not even do that until you have a few more, like brown, gray, and pink, for example. Um, My friend Mike is blue colorblind or some kind of pretty severe colorblind. Red, red, green, that's common. Yeah, red, green, colorblind maybe, where he will send pictures, he'll take pictures of his outfits and send them to me and go, is this okay? Does he do this every day? No, but like- <laughs> he's well, getting dressed. He's, because he, John, pick up. I need to get, get out of the house. Because Mike is very metal, uh, he just decided very, at a very early age that he would just wear black. I assume that about all celebrities that wear black. Yeah. They're all colorblind. Johnny he, Cash was colorblind. He's just super metal and he's like, everything's black. But when he has to go to court or like on his wedding day, he wants to make sure that nobody faked him out and gave him like a, like a funny colored cummerbund. Right. Uh, and so he, he'll send me pictures like. Or one that says the judge sucks <laughs> in red letters on a green background. <laughs> yeah. That he can't see. Or like he wants to make sure he's not wearing like two different color shoes or something. He's it, there's, it's surprising how much his colorblindness actually is an issue for him in the world because he's, it's not just embarrassment. Like he, he cannot distinguish between, he'd be a great sniper. Um, because you know, colorblindness is, is, is advantageous in sniper culture. In what way? Too it, many, too many people would be good snipers, but they just get distracted by a beautiful red flower or no, because colorblindness defeats camouflage. Oh, I see. Because you're not, you're not, uh, right. screwed up by the colors. You're, you see the motion or you see the shapes, uh, more distinctly. So many disabilities are like that. They're just, um, you know, 
they're just opportunities turned inside out. Yeah, you just need to find the place where you're, the way where you can kill people as a result of your handicap. <laughs> your thing is a dis- is an advantage. <laughs> Rojabuv, get them. So the cultures that don't have separate words for green and blue include the ancient Egypts, uh, the ancient Egypts. Yeah, the old Egypts, as I call them. <laughs> <laughs> the Lakota Sioux, and pretty much any, uh, all the East Asian cultures. Um, the early Chinese had one word, Qing, for green and blue. Hmm. And it's the same character in, in old-timey Japanese. It's Ao, and the same in Korean. And it's only recently with, you know, kind of Western influence and the need for, you know, more technical specificity in certain fields that people have had to say, you know, okay, here's a new word, and it really means you know, the green of emeralds. Or is it a hyphenate? Do they say Ching yeah, in, in a lot, Dao or something? In a lot of cases, yeah. The old word gets modified. So you have a very long word for blue and a very <laughs> long word for green. Um, you know, that's not true of every culture. A lot of times they just, it's just a lesson in the fact that cultures categorize colors differently and that kind of affects your mental color space. You know, Russia, Russian has two words for blue. They have light blue and dark blue. They've got Goluboy and Sini. And that's, you know, like we think of red and pink as two different colors, whereas we think of light blue and dark, dark blue, blue as categories blue. categories of blue. That's just a linguistic accident. It doesn't really have anything inherent to do with the colors. In Scots Gaelic, they have one word that means pale green, uane, and one word gorm, which means darker green or all blues. Dark green or all blues. Yeah, they just decided to draw the line in a weird place. Wasn't Gorm the dragon in uh, The Hobbit there and back again? No, that was Gorm. Sm- Glorm. Smog. Oh, it was Smog. No, but there was another worm. Uh, there was some other worm. W-U-R-M. Maybe this is just a worm that only you that could see. Gorm. Did you, ever, did you ever talk to a, to a worm named Gorm during your white light, white heat era? Gloin, son of Glorm, <laughs> son of Gorm. So you're saying that Gloin Maybe Gorm. Is, a, is a grandson of a dragon in, in your headcanon. <laughs> Do you think he was conflicted when they went to kill the dragon? Is half, he like Half dwarf, half dragon. That's not that unusual. Yeah, he's a dragon. <laughs> Yes. From from Dungeons uh, and Dragons. Dwagons. Elmer, Elmer Fudd's <laughs> D&D campaign. <laughs> that wascoey dwagon. <laughs> so, um, so this all affects how these ancient cultures see rainbows, you know. Um, oh, right. You know, the ancient Greeks would say that they're, uh, you know, they only have the four colors. That's why Homer's always talking about the wine dark sea. Yeah, you know, they, he sure does say that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they have kind of one darkish color and it, it worked for... Everything. Wine dark. And that's the thing. When you look at the sea, that is the last, I mean, maybe he's talking about the darkness, which the sea can be as dark as wine, but it does not look like wine at all. Sure. You're, you're reacting to the, to the grade, to the, the, yeah, the, the, I guess the value Value, of it, not the, not the hue. But the freaking Iliad is like one eighth wine dark sea. It just said, he says it over and over. You know who really fixated on this was 19th century British Prime Minister uh, William Gladstone, who Ugh. also fancied himself a bit of an amateur, you know, natural philosopher and linguist. Gladstone again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Disraeli thought about Homer, but like Gladstone was like thought he had discovered that the Greeks' brains must have worked very differently from ours because Homer's talking about color so differently. And in fact, in the Iliad, there is a reference to a rainbow that's just one tone. It's purple. A purple rainbow. It's got that bright color we all know, rainbow purple in it, mm-hmm. um, 
Whereas later, uh, in a later Greek period, Aristotle thought the rainbow had, he saw the rainbow as having three colors, some red, some green, and some violet. And so that carried over into medieval Europe as well. In Islamic traditions, there's four colors corresponding to earth, air, wind, and fire. So a lot of it just comes with what the viewer sees. So looking at a rainbow, they only perceived three colors and all the rest was just inter interspecies. It was... Yeah. And here's the thing, like they're not wrong. If you look at the actual wavelengths of light that make up the rainbow, um, they are not equally distributed into seven categories, the ones Newton came, or the four that the, uh, you know, early Islamic Arabian natural philosophers saw, or the three that Aristotle saw. The, the bandwidth of red is fully 115 nanometers in oh. wavelength. Oh. That's the range of wavelengths that will give you red light. Nanometers? I guess if we're going to say kilometer, we should say nanometer. I like nanometer. Okay, nanometers. That's five times the amount that makes up, that's almost five times the amount that makes up yellow. Like there's only 25, a range of 25 nanometers in light wavelength that will give you yellow. Whereas red is five times that. And all the colors are somewhere in between. It's funny when you look at a, I'm looking now at a, at a, at a really exaggerated rainbow photograph, not, not digitally manipulated, but just like it was a hell of a rainbow that day type of photograph. Are you looking at like your trapper keeper from, yeah. <laughs> from second grade? I have that. I swear to you somewhere around here, but the, but it's, but I see now that, yeah, the yellow looks like it's as big as the red, but really when you, when you look at it, it's an awful lot of orange. Yeah. Orange is 35 nanometers and yellow is less. Green and orange are both wider than yellow. You know, we think of yellow as a primary color, so we assume it must be well represented there. But in fact, there's a very narrow range of, of light, of visible light that will actually give you It's just yellow. a, it's just such, it's maybe the boldest, because it's situated in the middle of these dark colors. It looks, it's exaggerated in its importance. Right. And it is kind of possible to see two different blues. It is. So there's a, you know, today we would probably say cyan, the, kind of this bright, intense greenish blue. There's about 20 nanometers of the spectrum of wavelength that'll give you that. And then there's 65 that'll give you kind of a deeper ultramarine, kind of a, a more ocean color. And, you know, we're talking to future creatures who might see the rainbow completely differently. Like even in our time, uh, you know, a bird or a bee would see another stripe to the rainbow. They would see ultraviolet. Right. Out to the side. And uh, a snake or a salmon would see the infrared stripe because they can see infrared light. They, that's how they killed bin Laden. So I have a lot of shirts. Uh, a lot of shirts because I'm, okay, a, good to I, know. I'm a thrifter. Moving on. And uh, I'm always curious. I'm, I'm always changing how I arrange my shirts in the closet. And I often decide to do it by color. And so I set out to arrange the shirts according to a rainbow. You wanted to make a nice spectrum with distributions. I, I used to do this to my Crayola crayon box. But the problem is that shirts don't, they don't all have just normal colors. There are a lot of shirts that are tan or sort of tangerine. If you're, if you're like me, you have shirts that are 15 to 40 different colors of pink. You've got olive, you've got your mulberries. Right. And so arranging them in a rainbow is very difficult because some of these colors, I don't know whether it's a green yellow or whether it's a, a green brown. And so- You should call Mike and have him like use his sniper powers 
Well, no, I mean, he would disregard only, color. And, he would he he would only see three colors. He'd be like a medieval right he rainbow could, chaser. He could, he could see past that and get to the heart of how your shirts should be organized if you weren't distracted by color. I see. He'd be like a the sniper slash closet organizer. I mean, and this is I can't even get into the fact that a lot of my shirts are plaid. Where would those even go? So then, well, there's no, no plaid. Even the Greeks, even the ancient Scots knew there was no plaid in the rainbow. But every plaid, if you squint your eyes, it has a. Do you think it has an overall? It does. Color? It it pre- it presents as a color. If you get right? far enough away, is that a green plaid or a pink plaid? Anyway, this is not. I'm just saying this is not academic. This question intrudes into my daily life. We all think about color all the time. It's it's central to how we see the world, and uh, you know Gladstone's kind of amateur armchair scientist idea that the Greeks must have had something weird in their brains or in their eyeballs that made them unable to distinguish between blue and green does not turn out to be true. Right. They, they could see blue and green the same way we do. You know, the wavelengths of light worked the same back then and so did their eyes. But when they had to squeeze those into the mental categories or the words they had, it changed their cognition a bit. And that's that's a variant of what linguists call the Saper-Whorf hypothesis, which hmm. kind of comes and goes, which is that the, Go on. the way we choose to talk, the way our language forms actually will affect our thinking and not always vice versa. You know, that the people who count numbers differently or put the verbs at the end of sentences, their brains might actually work differently as a result. Right. This is the thesis that that drives the Chomskyization of modern life. Yeah. And when it comes to colors in particular, I, I think a lot of the findings are kind of dubious, but when it comes to colors, you can see some evidence of this in action. There's a, a famous study that was done with, I think, these Namib people mm-hmm. of Southwestern Africa. It's a language where um, I think uh, blue and green that has a single word, mm-hmm. but then there's also a bunch of different words for different types of green. And sure enough, when you have these people, try, they're much better, they're faster at picking out a different, uh, you know, two different greens than they are from picking out a green from a blue. And I think there's a similar test done with Koreans. That's another language that until recently has just had one word for green or blue. And they've actually found that it's it works differently with different eyes. If you cover, you know, the the speed at which they can distinguish between a green and a blue varies with which eye you're covering. And they, that may have something to do with which half of the brain mediates language is the theory. So, you know, these are small distinctions. They, they can, often it's misreported and the, it's, it's presented as these African people couldn't actually tell this green and blue apart, but can you tell these two greens apart? They could. That's right. not true. They could, they could see the difference. It's just that they were faster to see the ones that mapped to their mental and linguistic categorization. This, this sort of linguistic relativity hypothesis. I bet it bugs you. Well, the most famous version of it is that Eskimos have uh, 200 <laughs> words for snow. Right. Which isn't, which ends up not being true and ends up being kind of, um, it was meant to elucidate or to increase our knowledge of different culture and it ends up being one that obfuscates. Kind of exoticizes them. Yeah, right. Does it offend you as an Alaskan? Uh, well, <laughs> no, but but as we've implied, right, the ling- linguistic relativity hypothesis has in recent decades extended to become like just the general sort of cultural relativity hypothesis Yeah, that does, I think, over time, like maybe not stand up so well in a in a brisk wind. 
Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com start so when isaac newton first got his prism working and just you know displayed a, a a rainbow a wheel of colors on his wall he originally marked down five colors that he could see. He saw red, yellow, green, blue, and violet. Um, Missing entirely. He left out orange and indigo. Right. He hated vowels. I actually know a guy named Indigo. Is that true? I was kind of uh, courting a young woman several years ago who was sort of prominent in the Seattle rock scene, and she ended up preferring Indigo to me. Uh, and, and not the color. Uh, no, the, the man. And now Indigo is her husband, and they have a beautiful family. Does she call him Indy? I don't think so. I'm Indy, not sure. Throw she, me the whip. She doesn't. She doesn't talk to me about him that much anymore. Uh, but Indigo, you know, he's he's still. It's not that he looms large. It's just that he uh, is Indigo our age. He is, yeah. Because there's this. Do you know about this new age phenomenon associated with the color indigo? No. Kind of a uh, uh, very spiritual. Uh, 70s people worried about their auras are convinced that a new generation of, of indigo children are being born Qua? who have all kinds of special powers ranging from just increased empathy to actual straight up superpowers like telekinesis. People are strange yeah. when you're a strange. I don't think there's any data to bear this out. <laughs> Faces look ugly when you're alone. It might be a way boom, to, boom, uh, boom. I guess it might be a way to, to frame the increases in certain kinds of learning disabilities or autism, I guess. Mm. Like if you're going to choose between not vaccinating your kid or just saying he's a special new indigo um, star child. When the second one is probably wicked. Second one's less when harmful. You're I don't even like the doors, but they were really, really prescient. We've talked a lot about the doors on the show <laughs> relative to how much you and I dislike them. <laughs> But every once in a while, nothing can convey my feelings better than drunk Jim Morrison. So do you know anyone who dated a man named Orange? No, but you know, Orange is my favorite color. Hard to rhyme though, as a songwriter. I would think Orange would be your least favorite color. <laughs> well, I don't, I, you know, I do you have a lot of unfinished songs about your favorite color. I, in my own songs, I mask myself uh, through sort of like. You're a, a series of characters. I, I am. Who an, enjoy easier to rhyme colors, and I, I often switch around the gender pronouns in my songs. Have for uh, have from the very beginning. So he, the she's are always he's, and the he's are always she's. And I've never. And there's a lot of theirs and them's. This is the code to understanding your music. Yeah. So I, I always step back. I never put orange in any. I just leave the orange completely out. Although my bell is orange. 
from the game Pit. A lot of people don't know that your your bell is orange. It's an orange bell. The, it would not have been orange before the 1540s, which was uh, the time when English first got the word orange. Would this have been red? They would have called that. Yeah. I mean, that's why people with ginger hair are called redheads, because oh. at the first time we were stigmatizing these awful, scary people, <laughs> we, we could not say they had orange hair. Um, no, right. I think, and it comes from the name of the plant, I believe. Like when oranges started to become popular in Europe, moving up from- are they Arabian? North Africa and the Middle East. Oh. Yeah. I think that's when we needed a color to mean that vivid color of oranges and we chose orange. L'orange. L'orange. Um, and, and so why do we, why, why do we say ginger for, for redheads? I feel like we don't. We say ginger. You know who says ginger? British people and tiaboos. That's true. Which are Americans who are fascinated <laughs> with superficial elements of British culture. Tiaboos. Um, you really deserve to be in prison. I didn't make that up. That's a thing. Oh. For people who like like to knit uh, yeah. anti-macassars while they watch Downton Abbey and or whatever PBS detective is. You're getting is, pretty close to certain members of my family now. <laughs> also mine. <laughs> <laughs> so Isaac Newton was not happy with his five color theory, red, yellow, green, blue, violet. Because he sensed there was something missing in it or because he because his nature as a scientist and explorer meant that he was never happy? Well, this is... <laughs> <laughs> You're, whereas you, as an artist, are always content with what the universe provides, unlike those scientists. Uh, it's actually very interesting how he came to change his mind, um, and it's not particularly scientific. Isaac Newton liked the way the colors appeared to recur, you know, how they would go from red, yellow, green, blue, violet, and back to red. It was a wheel. Yeah, and it just like in my closet. Right. Yeah. Is your closet a wheel? There's a... There's a <laughs> Is it like the thing in 2001 where you yeah. have to run in it like a hamster and yeah. then the right shirts come around to you? Yeah, my wheel's on fire. No, it's the, there's a red shirt on either end. Sure. If and you were, if you had a space station, you know, you could actually make it meet in the middle. Right. And you could just walk in either direction to the reds, but that doesn't work on Earth. I never wear red shirts because I don't want to be the first one killed. <laughs> uh, so Isaac Newton saw these colors recurring and it reminded him of music. The way that you can go from do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, and then you get back to do. And he thought, well, there must be some relationship here between light and sound. And, uh, you know, the diatonic scale currently, then popular then and popular now in Western music, has those seven tones. Da, 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 da. And oh, and he wanted seven colors? He wanted it to match. He wanted seven brides for seven brothers? <laughs> So there were also seven, the, the, to the ancients, there were seven planets, objects sure. that moved through the heavens uh, in uh, kind of a random way, not fixed like the stars, where planet, I think, meant wanderer. Right. And so to them, this, they had the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. Those were the seven planets. It makes sense. I mean, we have seven fingers and seven toes. And the ancients, <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> the ancients loved this music universalis, this oh, idea that the, the, the way that the heavens moved was a vast symphony the that, music we, that of we the could spheres. not hear. Uh, do you believe this? That the that the music that the way the universe whirls is related in some way to, to the way music sounds? Well, you know, I played Agamemnon in the Oresteia uh, when I was in college. You did, and I, yes, and uh, this is new information to me. So I got the music of the spheres that worldview. I really kind of bathed in it for a while because I was a method actor. And uh, so I've always carried it with me, but I'm looking for 
harmony when I look out into the natural world. You know, Isaac Newton is a, is the kind of scientist that bridges yes. art and spirituality. He was, a, he was a mystic. And I think increasingly that in our contemporary life where we are so siloed in our disciplines and people think of themselves as exclusively this or exclusively that, we lose uh, so much of this cross-disciplinary wonder. And I think there are an awful lot of people in the sciences that actually do dabble in the arts or think of themselves as having a broader worldview. It's just that when they go to work every day, they're just expected to do some micro right. uh, silo, but that, but then they spent, you know, in their Micro, private lives. A microsilo? A microsilo. But, and, and I, I'm, I feel the same. I mean, you and I spend an awful lot of time dabbling in the sciences and in metaphysics, considering what we do all day. Is, considering how far out of our depth we are yeah, the, right. the second we start. <laughs> so the Hilbert Hotel. <laughs> but yeah, I do. I, I, I mean, I'm, I don't sit around like listening for the universal uh, the vibrations. Tones, but I do feel there's as good a metaphor as a lot of others. I like that kind of cross-disciplinary wonder as well. But in this case, they kind of led Newton astray. There, there, there is no close relationship between music the, and the, the, the musical tones and the seven colors of light. I mean, they're both waves with peaks and troughs, I guess, according to a certain point of view. But the math doesn't work out. You know, you can, if you take a guitar chord and pluck it, and shall, then you, shall I? Dong. There are guitars all around us. And if you were to then, you know, cut the length of the string in half by pressing down on a fret and you played it again, Bing. it would be an octave up right. because that's, that's how the math works. Whereas light is not like that. You do not get a different red but brighter if you cut a, a wavelength in half, for example. The parallelism dies pretty quickly. But Newton was convinced that there must be seven because that would match the heavenly spheres and the musical tones. And seven is, shows up in a lot of cultures as kind of a mystical lucky number, right? I mean, you were joking about the fingers and the toes, but it's not really clear why we fixate on seven. I mean, it, you know, in, in the West, it shows up in the Bible a lot, the earth being created in seven days. Right. And then the seven seals and whatnot when the earth eventually ends. We do have seven days, which there's nothing in the universe yes, to suggest it. That's arbitrary and perhaps comes from the, our love of seven, not the other way around. And all these, you know, many other religious traditions have that as well. It's not just Christianity. You know, Muslims have to go around the Kaaba seven times when they're on Hajj. Right. Uh, if you're Hindu, there's seven chakras and seven heavens. Buddha took seven steps as a as a child in, in, to when his first miracle uh, occurred. But I'm not sure why. What is there inherent about seven that makes it show up so much? Seven four time is really instrumental in the music of the grunge era. <laughs> yeah, uh, Soundgarden uses seven four time all the time. It's ve it really swings if you play it right. Wait, are there actually grunge songs that use weird Brubeck time signatures? Uh, yeah, Soundgarden has lots of songs. I thought you were joking. Time. I not had no all. idea. Soundgarden. You know, no, 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 I mean, those guys are named after a vibrating, chiming sculpture. They seem like kind of Isaac Newton as a rock band. Or shizzle. Uh, there are some ways in which seven does seem to be inherent in the brain. Like if you ask somebody to name a number between one and ten. John, name a number between one and ten. Seven. Exactly right. Whoa. 22.5% of people will say, but around usually between 20 and 25% of people will say seven, twice as many as any other number. It's, really? Somehow it seems like the random number that's special because it's not special, or maybe not special because it is special. 
Well, it's like a a cool prime, right? It, there's something about it is a prime, but I don't know if you can measure coolness the same way you can sieve numbers for primeness. I feel like three, although it's the magic number. Uh, Do you have a mathematical test for like numerical coolness that you can run? I think it's pretty, it's right out on the surface of, of numbers, which ones are cool and which ones aren't. This is a new kind of synesthesia. It's like, which numbers smoke? I mean, 20, 21 is cool. 23 is not. Argue it. Look at 21 and 23 next to each other and tell me which one is cooler. You're not wrong. It's 21. But 23 is like it's in our chromosomes. You'd think that 23 would be the one we would be hardwired to love as a species. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to stand here and say 23 is uncool. Not like 67. That would be pretty mean to 23. Yeah, but 23 is not as cool as 21. And 25 is like, yeah, it's like very cool. Seven is physiologically the, the largest, you know, cognitively, it's, it's the largest number you can kind of perceive at a glance. Oh. Like six objects do not look like seven objects, but eight objects and nine objects you can't just people can't just do interesting um and maybe possibly related is a, is a memory phenomenon whereby you know phone numbers are seven digits because that's kind of the largest number of things you can keep in your brain before the oldest thing slips out it's really weird you know I, i've i've been a member of the global entry system since it arrived uh, the tsa system whereby you can go past passport control if you've been determined to not be a uh, threat. I am also global entry. It's one of those things where you, you just like the uh, privilege of passing people. Yeah, that's right. It, oh, you guys are all in line? Watch I this. I don't care about this until the other line is long. And then I'm like, hey, check it out. But the problem is that my global entry expired because it only lasts for five years. And I didn't re-up it in time before the government shutdown, mm. which futurelings will look back and laugh ruefully as we do. It's, uh, it's the way we look back on like the fall of Rome. Yeah. yeah there were just weeks and weeks where the government wouldn't work. <laughs> and that's how you can tell that uh, civilization is moving to Constantinople. So for three months, I did not have my goes. Um, and it was really infuriating. And I had to log on, log on to their stupid government website. Goes is an acronym, right? Yeah. It's global. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, it took me a while or, to parse that sentence. And, and, then I, and then I remembered I also have a goes ID, whatever goes. that is. Anyway, uh, they would send me these like, because there's a TSA is all about security theater. They would say, oh, in order to log into our site, which no one wants to do, we're going to send you, we're going to text you a number that you have to put into our special number system. And it was always like a seven digit number. And I found it incredibly easy to read it once and remember it well enough to put it in. And maybe it's a lifetime of it's remembering those, phone numbers. It's a lifetime of those sound garden rhythms in your head. It just makes you good at phone numbers. That's why we should all listen to weird time signatures. Anyway, so Indigo exists for that reason. Isaac Newton thinking there should be seven colors and squeezing the universe into fitting his mathematical preconceptions. And so we're we're stuck with this kind of orphan color that no one likes. And and he was saying, when he said blue and indigo, he was seeing the same thing we do, where we see a little light blue and then a little dark blue. He was using blue to mean that bright cyan color and indigo to mean that deep ultramarine. So he wasn't just inventing it out of whole cloth. It is visible if you look for it in the in the rainbow. Right. But I would, I mean, where is there another color that you could just sort of slip in if you were looking for eight colors in the rainbow, where would you find that eighth color? Like if he's a big fan of the Brady Bunch yeah, and thinks right. there should be eight colors, right. plus maybe Alice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, mm, where, would you, where would you put it? 
Maybe yellowish green. I'd become one of these cultures that has the two greens. Yellowish green. Like I'd, I'd have, have like sea green. Light, light grassy green and then deep, uh, you know, leafy tree green. Sea foam green. Sure. As Kurt Cobain would say. You can make up little Home Depot paint sample names for all of them. But, you know, civilization has moved on. And uh, the great thing, you mentioned how the rainbow is now a symbol of LGBT pride. Have you noticed that their flag typically has six colors? And the gays have helped us out by getting rid of indigo. Really? They were just like, nope, we're, yeah. we're going to continue to add letters to LGBTQ plus or minus, but we're taking indigo Isaac out. Newton's <laughs> made up color is a bridge too far. And that concludes indigo. Entry 634.GE0913, certificate number 26015 in the omnibus. Futurelings, we hope and pray that social media does not exist in your era. I was just gone for a week and I came back and turned on my phone and social media was waiting for me. What if social media is like rainbows, the improbable thing that lets you know that somebody's effing with us? More and more people on social media have started to say, I'm trying to make social media fun for myself. Please stop telling me I'm doing it wrong. And a lot of them are the people that a year and a half ago were using social were using social media to make other people feel bad. So it's interesting. I maybe it's come maybe it's turning right. Maybe maybe futurelings are like, what are you talking about? You guys just lived in the bad times. Social media is amazing. Yeah, maybe we we just need to gut it out, mm -hmm. grit our teeth, and wait for humanity collectively to kind of. Uh, no, you know what it is? We're waiting for the Indigo children. <laughs> Once the Indigo children log on, they will show us how it's done. The children of the corn. Because young people are never irritating on social media. They're, no. they're always the ones that know best. I can tell you right now that my daughter will be terrible on social media. I mean, and I mean she'll be great at it, but she'll be awful. She'll be a force for evil. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, do you think that when you and I combine, we make light or dark? You and me personally? Yeah. As like Ken if, and John? If we were like the two colors of the rainbow, are we are we pigment or are we light? <laughs> are we plaid? Because yeah. when because when plaid crosses over, like on your shirt, yeah. it tends to get darker, you know. A little muddy, yeah. The green and the pinks become purple or whatever. But you're like a borderline ginger. <laughs> I am not a borderline ginger. Is there no red in your mustache? Uh, actually, yeah. Oh, I, busted! That's why I always shave, because I've got to keep that. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like a, a, you know, some kind of, from some racist Asian culture where I have to lighten my skin or something. Like, I have to, I have to keep the red from coming in or people might know. Yeah, you, uh, like, lightening your skin would require an antidote to pink. <laughs> it would require a new color that only bumblebees can see. <laughs> I think we generate light. Yeah, I together. think so too. I think so too. Uh, we, you know, we enlighten the world. That's right. It's a metaphorical thing as well. Well, if you want more of our enlightening uh, selves, come to our social media accounts at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick, at Omnibus Project. I'm on Instagram. I basically just republish all my sects, except not S E C T S, but S E. -X -T -S. Is there a way to say sext so it's not the? Yeah, I guess sects. Sect. Sects. Sexts. That's Se hard. That's yeah. four consonants Sext in a row. And sect. I've only ever sexted once, so I've never had to pluralize it. 
Well, I'm sex. missing my front tooth right now, so it's quadruply difficult. That's for me amazing to say. that you can do that. That's when you see sex. a real charismatic front man in action. <laughs> when you can say sexts with a tooth down. Sexts. Nice. I can you know, I can barely pronounce normal words. Now you're Sylvester. Fuck a tat. Tweety bird. Stop sexing me, Tweety bird. I have a friend that has a, a side lisp like that, which is different from a, a front lisp. And she is very protective of her side lisp. Like she likes it? Yeah, I think it's part of her personality. I mean, she doesn't do it like that. She doesn't sound like a Bond villain. It's super cute when she does it, but. I bet. Uh, but I had never thought of the, that there would be a difference between a front lisp and a side. I guess it never, the distinct, it's like blue well, and indigo. Well, I, yeah, first of all, which side is it? Isn't the mouth symmetric? Does it come out both sides? Yeah, both sides. Oh, both sides. It's, it's like uh, the lisp is over here on the side instead of in the front like this. I don't know. And every time I see one of those cross sections of the tongue that explains how different sounds get produced, I just get grossed out. It's too much like fifth grade sex ed or something. I'm too sexually repressed to look at um, how, how glottal stops form. Sex ed. <laughs> I have a geographic tongue, which is a, uh, you know, it's a kind of uh, anomaly. I wouldn't go as far as to call it disability, but I cannot do a lot of things that other people can do with their tongues. I can't roll my R's. I can't curl my tongue. But you have weird shapes on it. Every it's morning you can look in the mirror and say, this looks like a map of Paraguay. I'm yeah. going to South America. I can tell your fortune if you kiss me. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't tell, right? It would feel the same to me. If I kissed you? Yes. It's the same as what? <laughs> the two Not the same as Mindy. <laughs> <laughs> the parts of your tongue that are different colors or whatever, are they also different textures? Oh, uh, well, my taste buds are big. Uh, and uh, also, You know what they say. <laughs> and, you know, but also like the t my tongue is, yeah, well, I don't know. Let's, we should get some people on the show who have kissed me deeply. And ask them, is it noticeable? Does it feel like you're kissing a large cat or a normal person? You are going to great lengths to ensure that you and I don't tongue kiss on the show. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, think, I, think I think that's a good rule of thumb for most podcasts. Look, w together we make light. Let's not go all the way. Let's not go. Let's not tempt a singularity. Uh, please email us at the omnibus, blah, the omnibus project. Do not email us at the blah, the omnibus blah, project, blah, blah. but only at the omnibus project at gmail.com. And you can mail things to us at PO box five, five, seven, four, four shoreline, Washington, nine, eight, one, five, five. And also we encourage you to go to our Facebook page, the omnibus futureling. To participate in all the fun things happening there. If you have mail trucks in your neighborhood, you can take pictures of them and post them to our website. Listeners, uh, from our vantage point in the distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. God, of course, put a rainbow in the sky as mm -hmm. a covenant with his people that he would never again destroy the earth by water. But is that if you true? think if you think about it, that leaves a lot of other ways in which he and his infinite wisdom could destroy the earth. Like, like just to say, I won't destroy it again by water really yeah. makes you think, wait. Wait a minute. What, what, what do you have in mind? Does it get destroyed once every other way too? He could just vibrate the spheres so hard that it... At least we'll get a cool new optical phenomenon every time he uh, destroys the earth, apparently. You know, like for water, you get a rainbow. What do you get when the fire comes? What do you get when the magnetic poles reverse? Right, some kind of... Uh, Everybody's hair stands on end. That would, that's what it will be. Everybody will have Yahoo serious hair. We'll be destroyed by static electricity. We hope and pray that whatever catastrophe the Lord chooses uh, may never come, may hold off indefinitely. But if the worst comes soon, 
this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus is a production of iHeartRadio.